FIS Castaway, the podcast keeping you in the know about the shipping and commodity world. To keep up to date, sign up to our FIS Live app at www.fis-live.com or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Now, this is Castaway, FIS's freight and commodity podcast on Wednesday the 8th of September. I have a bumper week of people this week. We've got myself, uh, we've got Theo in Dubai this time. Uh, Kerry in the office with me here, and from home, Ed, who is our senior technical analyst. So we're going to be adding a technical element to our main markets this week to kind of add even more colour on what's been happening in these markets over the last week. But first of all, what's been happening in the news, what's been happening in those indexes, and then delving a little deeper into those markets of what's behind, what's going on behind those numbers, what's been the drivers of these markets. But in the news, we have had Toyota say they will invest $13.6 billion into battery development and supply over the next decade in the race for cheaper and longer-lasting electric and hybrid vehicles. Uh, competitor Hyundai Motor Group is aiming to become the world's first automaker to power all its commercial vehicle models with fuel cell systems by 2028. This week, the U.S. withdraw extra federal unemployment benefits, uh, currently supporting more than 7.5 million people in a first withdrawing back of uh, a lot of COVID measures there for the uh, world's largest economy. Yeah. So definitely yeah. seeing what's happening and keep an eye on things. The benchmark wholesale electricity prices in Germany for delivery next year reached more than 90 euros per megawatt hour, or roughly double the level at which they started this year, surpassing the previous record high in the summer of 2008, when oil prices were 150 bucks. And aluminium prices hit decade highs following the news of a coup in Guinea. But what's happened in terms of the indexes of our main markets. This is obviously Tuesday the 31st versus Tuesday the 7th yesterday. Uh, in terms of Brent, if you're following that, minus uh, 1.6%, closing 71.89 last night, according to FIS report. Uh, the high sulfur fuel oil, the ROT, 3.5%, down 0.6%, 3.8985, and the SING, 4.1335, uh, down 1.3%. Uh, the very low sulfur fuel oils, the 0.5% sulfur content fuels, uh, both slightly down week on week. Uh, the ROT 0.5 dropped below 500 now, 498.79 down 0.6%. And the SING 0.5 down 0.5%, 522.29. And the high fives that's the difference between the very low sulfur fuel oil and the high sulfur fuel oil, or the <laughs> scrubber spread. Uh, now 109 for both ROT and SING. Uh, slightly down on rock and slightly up in sing. But Kerry, what about the freight indexes? Yeah, the freight is uh, seeing a pretty negative week. The Cape Size 5 TC at 42220 That is down 6089 bucks or 14%. Panamax 4 TC at 30132 That's down 2560 or 7.8%. And Theo, what about the iron ore? Uh, in the iron ore markets, the plat 62% yesterday settled at $137.85 which is down $14.75 or 9.7% week on week. The uh, fast market 65 uh, settled at $160.70, which is down $11.30 or 6.6% week on week. And the uh, spread 65 at 62 is up $3.45 and settled at $22.85, which is up 17.8% week on week. And the tanker market TC2 down 31.3% to 99.44. TC5 down 6.9%, 120.36. The VLs, TD3C, uh, 33.55 up 5%. And TD25 from 92.92 to 91.67 down 
3%. And to finish off with those, uh, the carbon markets and the EUA futures, it was Euro 60, 63 or, uh, last week and 61.99 now, or up 2.2%. Uh, but let's look at what's been happening really behind all those numbers in things. Uh, let's start in with oil and products. So if you look at those numbers, it does seem to have a significant drop off, but actually with the month roll, if you're looking more Wednesday to yesterday, it's been yeah. a pretty stable week on week. Um, we did have a nice sell into the month roll that we talked about last week's podcast, uh, but we have settled down lower uh, than last Wednesday. Uh, rising into the end of last week, we did see that push up to towards kind of 74 levels uh, on Friday, uh, almost uh, in trading, before settling down to more comfortable levels around 72 uh, this week. We had seen also a, a weakening of that high sulfur fuel or crack. Clearly, people in the market heard me talk about how that was the kind of the ultimate comeback kit <laughs> yeah. of the market and seeing incredible strength in what in something which had been written off as a fuel and decided to uh, to sell into that market we had moved from minus 10 last tuesday on the crack to kind of levels more minus 11 but then out of nowhere that has popped back up again to minus 10 levels above minus 10 levels closing yesterday at minus 985 so a complete pullback on on things are happening lots of movement in that uh, high sulfur fuel or crack but if you're looking in terms of the fuel product itself uh, it's only really come off a handful of dollars week on week, looking Wednesday to yesterday rather than things, rather than you know avoiding yeah. that roll. With the gas was basically flat, so not too much yeah. in terms of things to report. But lots of important things to discuss and uh, point out in terms of the market for, for oil. Uh, the EIA figures last week, uh, for the week ending the uh, 27th of August, uh, we did have a large drawdown on those crude oils. Minus 7.2 million barrels. Gasoline, a slight build, 1.3 million. And dislets, a draw, 1.7 million. And again, still that really high refinery utilization in the 90s, 91.3% on that. So again, another draw on those figures. It's definitely seen that the US is doing pretty good as a, an economy coming out of this with a large drawdown in oil stocks. Uh, some supportive news there for, for the market, which had had that weak or bit, that big wobble where it thought exactly, that was going to kick exactly, off. Yeah. The futures yeah. contract um, is up with support with capped production in the Gulf of Mexico. So probably another factor building into those EIA that we pointed out. We had uh, that tropical storm Ida coming in and shutting almost all yeah. production. Um, it's gradually coming back online, uh, but we still got about 1.53 million barrels per day or about 84% of production remain shut. Um, and the platforms and rigs were evacuated after that hurricane. Uh, that's according to statistics by the Bureau of Safety and Environmental Enforcement. Around about 18% of platforms or 45% of the rigs in the Gulf are still unmanned. So it's still some more production to come in yeah. there. So I would expect uh, with the figures coming out later, or well, beyond actually Thursday this week because of Labor Day, because uh, you don't, can't, don't use use Labor in Day. America. That's right. Exactly. Uh, exactly. The figures, EIA figures are actually coming out on Thursday this week. So we'll definitely expect another big draw in that with the you know, lack of production because of all those shutdowns. So it'll be good to see again next week whether we have a large draw again in those figures. But uh, all those power outages and everything that's been happening, uh, it seems to be slowly moving back to, to more normal factors. So uh, although not a nice thing to have in terms of weather, but very good in terms of if prices for, for US crude. <laughs> uh, Look at the silver linings here. Exactly. exactly. We've all got to, got to stay positive in such dark times. And um, with another supportive factor in that is Chinese import data, which has really started to support the market is one of the build, world's biggest crude importers. It actually took 10.49 million barrels a day of crude in August, uh, an 8% increase in July, according to, to Reuters. And 
we had that kind of again wobble where they were having growing cases of the delta variant and problems but it seems that they have really started to sort that out and now we're seeing uh, extra supplies target higher prices for november so it seems this is going to be a trend that's continuing so we should see if that trend continues uh, continuing to add factors to support exactly good news coming out of china with the uh, the reopening in most provinces so. exactly so we'll be pushing <clears> hopefully <throat> more to closer levels of mid 70s uh even further if that trend continues and nothing else and we don't get another wobble of confidence of what <laughs> of <laughs> yeah. oil demand are uh, going to be but in terms of the converse side, the other side of the coin, um, Saudi Aramco, Aramco notified customers that it will actually cut its official selling prices, OSPs, for October, with all crude grades sold to uh, Asia being at least $1 a barrel cheaper. So big price cuts, uh, significant there uh, on the other side of, of things. But maybe this is just trying to get people buying again and get trade going. Perhaps, perhaps. I think we're also probably looking at the Asia X china effect here, mm. um, particularly with Southeast Asia. Um, going through a pretty tough patch with the Delta variant now. So um, let's see what happens there. Yeah, and it's going to be increasing sense of looking at what those other uh, yeah. ex-China countries are going to be doing. Vietnam, the ultimate one that's going to be up and coming and a feature of an Economist article if you've got some spare <laughs> exactly. time on the weekend to, to read. Uh, but just to finish off these uh, last few points on, on the oil market, latest CIA data released on, this was September the 2nd, showed that the US crude inventories fell by 72 so, you know, it's actually now putting to 425.4 million barrels a week and in August 27, or bringing inventories to roughly 6% below the five-year seasonal average. So it's not, wouldn't be ridiculous for this to, to continue to, to push up on things, especially with a return to production and everything else. But as I said, Thursday's the day to see what's actually yeah. happening on that. OPEC Alliance, it's meeting on September 1st, agreed to kind of increase that crude production 400,000 barrels today, scheduled for October. So again, linking that with the, the drop in official pricings from uh, Saudi Aramco. So it, it makes a lot of sense, but it seems quietly positive on the things which we're moving forward uh, with oil. Uh, but definitely we'll be bringing you next week what's happening in those Thursday figures uh, and to keep a view on what's happening in the uh, oil and fuel prices. But fairly flat, but looking not too bad. Cool. Moving on to freight, Kerry. Well, uh, two weeks ago, I'd said we should probably expect a cool down in the Cape size rates. And that's certainly what has happened. Um, after the C3 Brazil China index peaked in late August at 36.40, I believe, uh, cooling demand out of Brazil saw prices fall pretty consistently in the last two weeks, with the market shedding nearly six bucks since then. Uh, in part, the market has also been spooked, I should say, by that news of a military coup in Guinea that raised further questions at the start of this week about the prospects for balusters. Uh, we are seeing some signs of stabilization in the past 24 hours. However, I should say that the uh, the new military government there has said they will honor the mining contracts and export contracts um, as it stands. Um, and in the meantime, Vale has been heard taking uh, several ships yesterday, actually, for uh, October dates, early October dates in the low 30 US dollars per ton range. Um, that should give some confidence to the market um, a little bit. Uh, the reasonably strong cargo flow from South Africa also gave some hope to the balusters. C5, that West Aussie China iron ore route, we have also seen taking a hit in the past week. Um, Port congestion has been decreasing there, and only moderate demand saw rates fall to $12.50 per ton yesterday, although subsequent fixtures are holding out some hope that we might be finding a floor. Uh, the October Cape 5 TCs are trading this morning at uh, 38250 
that is down nearly $8,000 week on week, although slightly up from yesterday. Again, reinforcing that idea, we could be seeing a bit of a floor forming here. Um, Panamaxes have also been lackluster this week. The growing tonnage list in the Pacific has been putting pressure on rates with rumors of a NOPAC round being concluded at 31,000 basis CJK delivery yesterday. Uh, the shorter Indonesia rounds are doing better, but it's unclear if rates can hold with the more negative sentiment prevailing on the longer trips. In the Atlantic, it's more of a mixed bag. Uh, we see sentiment for vessels off the continent fairly negative, um, not helped by several force majeures declared in the wake of Hurricane Ida last week, uh, leaving a few spot ships that probably need to be cleared out. Uh, while rates from the Black Sea are still at a substantial premium, uh, we see plenty of inquiry emerging there. Uh, sentiment on the paper does seem to have improved, however, uh, with the October Panamax 4TC valued 32.725 this morning. That's down about 1300 bucks on the week. While the Q4 is at 31825 this morning, only very marginally lower, about 50 bucks down on where it was a week ago. So holding fairly steady there. But, uh, you know, we have Ed with us today. And so I'd love to hear his thoughts on what the technicals are suggesting on both the Capes and the Panamaxes at the moment. Hi, Gary. Cool. Um, I just want to uh, start with the Capes, the uh, big sister. Um, we noticed on the technical report last week that um, the trend was showing signs of weakening. Um, we did this by using the relative strength index, um, which we'd noticed having been in overbought, uh, overbought territory, went below 75. Um, if we look at the historical here, you can see that when this happens, that the uh, momentum comes from extreme high levels and drops back. We normally mean reverse back to the 55 period moving average and potentially yeah. even lower. So we'd, we'd highlighted when the market was closer to 50, just above 50,000, that we looked to see some technical week in the market. This is in process. Um, we've got the moving average around 36,600. So um, we're expecting some downside here. Ida's been an effect. Obviously, the uh, bauxite trade coming out of Guinea of 83 million tonnes has caused a bit of a, a, a momentum shock to the market, which has basically yeah. supported this, this correction. Um, but right now, we're seeing the futures, uh, sorry, the index around 42,000. We still think it has more downside. Um, will it go below 55? Historically, it does. Um, but what we've, what we've got here is the fact that the moving average is still going higher at the moment. So I don't really want to say this is your level, it goes 5% below, or it's going to go to the 200 period average. What I would highlight is... Um, the level of 35,525. Basically, this is um, a level that signals a deep pullback. If you start going below there, then your technical will really move from bullish territory into a neutral phase. It doesn't mean that the technical's bearish, but it does make you look at the index and say, okay, this is a deep pullback. Probability of it making new highs, probably dropping a little bit. Um, so this is the focus where we've had. Um, right now, it's still bullish. It's just corrective. And so we're maintaining our longer-term view that this maintains the, maintains the case until it tells us differently. When we look at the futures, um, it's quite interesting because we're looking at um, a weekly trend in the Cape size in the rolling October contract. Um, yes, we are corrective. That's obvious. Uh, we've seen the gap down on the roll from September 
to October. But yeah. the longer term moving averages, they are like we're talking like between 30 to 60 period EMAs. They're very well spaced. Um, yeah. So to me, right now, we are correcting. Um, I suspect there'll be some uh, basically profit taking in the market. And the investor market is looking stable. So I am looking at this and thinking, right, well, are we going to see some buying support? And if we look at um, these weekly trends, we got close to the 30-period um, exponential moving average, and we've seen a price price jump. Um, if we close the week now, you'd look at that candle and say, that's a bullish rejection candle. We, we appreciate there's a couple more days to go in the market, but we are already 500 bucks up this morning. So we, we see support in this market. I'm not convinced that we're done yet. Um, based on the index where it is and the stable moving averages, I wouldn't be surprised if we do see a base in the market and further upside pricing to come still. As you say, I mean, you're looking presumably at that guppy band chart, aren't you? Exactly, uh, with those, yes. With those moving averages fairly well spaced. And they do look very supportive there, don't they? They look fairly stable. Yes. Um, and this is something um, I, I don't know if it's something you want to touch on, Kerry, but I'm using the data from our um, Bloomberg services where we put our own chart information in there and our own data. Um, and this is something you can access, but I'll let you just talk briefly about that, if that's okay. Well, exactly, exactly. I mean, one thing I did want to touch on for our listeners is that uh, the Bloomberg data we have online now gives you not only live pricing across uh, the majority of our products, updated every two minutes uh, straight from our broker screens, but it also records a lot of detailed intraday data. And Ed, you're using sort of intraday ticks on this, aren't you? Yeah, to, I'm to using the, uh, the trends. Yeah, so I'm using intraday text for the near-term near term trends. I look at exactly. daily for um, strong close, closing prices, and I look weekly for the investor trend. Absolutely, exactly. And, and uh, you know, so if, if listeners do want to access this, they can access our Bloomberg data services on our page, which is FISL. To gain access to that page, they can contact me or simply send an email to our inquiry box. That is inquiry at freightinvestor.com. Uh, and we can help them to get set up on the Bloomberg system because it does give you that very granular data, that intraday, those intraday ticks that you need to model uh, near-term trends. Exactly. And if you've got those, anyone else who's listening who's going RS Watt, uh, <laughs> and, and we got very quickly in depth into technicals, then do look out for one of our much earlier podcast episodes on an introduction to technicals and you can then go, ah, oh, now I know what they were on about on things. Please do. Yep. It's stored in our library and available on our website. So, uh, or on all our subscription services. And it'll also make all the charts that we are discussing here will be available on the website version next to the podcast episode from today. Excellent. Excellent. Um, how do those Panamaxes look to you though, Ed? Um, before I get to um, the Panamax, I just want to touch a little bit more on capes, if that's okay, Kerry. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Just using, um, as previously you'd have mentioned in podcasts about our partnership with IHS, um, I'm using some data from the IHS market commodities at Sea Service. Um, and one of the things that's very interesting um, and the near-term driver of this market has been um, the port congestion. And we can see that over the last five weeks, based on data from last week, that this is decreasing and from a sentiment value, this is another influence in the reason why we're seeing this rebalance and correction in the market. Also from the same service, 
yeah. um, we've got the laden ballast spread that um, we see. Um, and this has been decreasing, again, which highly correlates with the C5 market. Um, so we're seeing some kind of small pack, small back, small, small pullback here. <laughs> Sorry, getting tongue tied. Um, I would highlight that this spread is mid range. So I wouldn't be looking at it and say it's bearish. I would just say at the moment it's corrective. Um, yeah. It's not an extreme high or a low. No. And we're already seeing a lot of the effects of that decreasing port congestion priced in, aren't we? So, um, yes, it's, so. I would argue that it's actually priced in because yeah. the futures are now at 38.625 in the October. So they're ahead of the index there and expecting some lower pricing to come. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. That's, that's very interesting. What about the Panamaxes though? The, the Panamax index is an interesting one um, because the move that we saw up in late August held at the just below the, the 34,000 level. Now, this is a key level within technical analysis because it warns that we have another corrective phase to come, uh, known as a wave B in the Elliott wave cycle, which is a psycho psychological pro psychological footprint of the market. Yeah. Um, so that's warning that there is weakness. However, if we go back to July, we held uh, the 66% retracement, 27.975. Now, that's, a, that's kept the technical in bullish territories. So I've got a bullish to the upside and I've got a neutral to the downside, maybe bearish. So at the moment, we are corrective. Are, are we bearish? It's actually too early, too early to call. Um, mm. But... I think if we look at it, we can say that there is a chance that we could go sub 30. Um, this 28,000 level will be key. If we go below that, then we are looking to hold the 23,282 level because that's a major fractal in the market. It's a major low um, and market bulls will not want to see us going below this because if we do, you're going back to the uh, adage of a lower low in the market. And that's not really good for the long-term trends. If we go to the October futures, um, we are seeing on the daily charts uh, a compression of the guppy bands, which is the 30 to 60 period averages. Um, yeah. And that is coming under, coming under pressure. Is the trend bearish? No. But there are warning signs, signs that we could have further downside in this correction. And the area we're in now is pretty key. If it holds then we are looking upside movement and potentially towards the new highs again. If it breaks down, it's signaling a longer-term correction. Yeah, it's, it's a very different outlook on that October Panmax, isn't it, from uh, from what we were looking at on the Capes? So. It, it is on the daily chart. It, it's yeah. looking it's very precarious. The weekly looks a little bit more stable, doesn't it? But, uh... That's where I'm getting to, and yes, it does. I mean, I couldn't ever say something's guaranteed in the market it's it, it's not how ta works but those long-term weekly averages are very well spaced and they're diverging suggesting that this is a very stable investor trend um that that's that's somewhat reassuring isn't it but <laughs> it is but, uh, um, but nothing's guaranteed in life no nothing's guaranteed in life but um it, <laughs> 
looking at a really small scale, um, I'm trying to get an extension done. It's taken me five months to get a decent architect. Um, <laughs> and now I can't get a builder that has supplies. <laughs> There's not enough steel around. There's not enough wood around. And cement's, <laughs> cement's, and cement is basically being rationed. So if you look on a really micro scale, there's still a lot of bullish signals for the commodity complex um, in terms of demand. Very much so. Very much so. I think that we're seeing that really across the board. We're seeing that in the States. We're seeing that in Europe. We're seeing that in China. Um, I think the question the question boils down to supply probably in the commodity complex. Yes. But, and, and that kind of neatly brings us towards the iron ore, doesn't it? Um, shall we uh shall we ask theo what's happening on the iron ore yeah sure certainly um the old iron ore market uh, as always is up to its uh, bag of tricks and it's a roller coaster ride once again so in the last two weeks uh reba has been climbing higher and iron ore has been going the opposite direction uh coke is now at an all, all-time high so it's pretty much scratching your head and thinking what's going on um, looking at the uh, future steel mill margins, they've climbed from the last two weeks from 1,100 to 1,350. Now, regarding coke, the bullish move has been due to, uh, due to ports in Mongolia frequently closing due to COVID and coal mines in China under nationwide reviews and inspections due to recent mine incidents. And this will be going on until the end of September. Uh, from the iron ore side, the iron ore, iron ore week ending the 29th of August showed a large 4 million tonne increase of Australian um, shipments into China. Uh, port inventories are now at a high of 131 million metric tonnes level, and many participants are expecting more iron ore from Brazil miners as they increase production and exports. On the steel side, inventories are at similar levels to last year, and weekly output has increased. Uh, gross national inventories have, though, have fell at a faster pace which indicates a rebound in apparent steel demand. So looking at um, personally some reports and articles I've been reading have been pointing at say falling iron ore in the last week or so due to steel output and curbs in seasonal demand. Having said that, the, um, looking at the China's National Development and Reform Commission, they've ordered the steel industry to limit steel production this year as we know. However, the industry produced 563 million tonnes of crude the first half of the year, that's up 12% year-on-year increase, according to Wood McKenzie. So China has slashed export quotas from refined fuels, while the tax rebates for exports and steel products was also cancelled on the 1st of August, and that resulted in excessive, in excess domestic capacity in the oil refining and steel-making industries. This, I believe, though, have, however, means excess domestic steel products will only increase domestic competition and erode margins. That's depending on what demand is like. So physical steel margins are now sitting around 400 yen, which is on the lower side since governments have employed environmental protection measures that have increased costs in the mills. These measures include increases in transportation costs, along with environmental quality tests and measures the mills need to adhere to. So they're doing something good for the, the, uh, the environment. But all this provides a thrilling climax, I think, to Q4 in the end of 2021. So the questions are, will production reduce or will mills continue to produce? And what, how is demand really tracking? What, um, you know, what is the cost of the environment and the environmental goals that the, gov the government has? So will the government sacrifice growth for the environment? 
Will second half bring steep cuts in production that will, that will be needed to meet those annual targets, or um, which will have a negative impact, economic impact, and that will also drag on domestic um, gross domestic pro profits and stoking inflation. So there are, are a few questions to be asked there about what's in store for uh, Q4 and the rest of the year. And also, we haven't mentioned that uh, in Brazil currently, the, um, the President uh, Bolsonaro is um, looking quite sh shaky there, um, with most likely elections looming. So will, there, will that, and there are some, uh, there have been some right-wing um, ac uh, actions being taken with uh, people heading to the streets with clashes with the police and rallies are, uh, uh, through Brazil. So I wonder if that's going to have any effect on their exports or their mining. Um, so that's something to take into account as well. Yeah, definitely one to watch very, very closely. Um, and uh, obviously, Bolsonaro has been extremely pro natural resource development in Brazil. Um, and whether or not that uh, that path continues, if he should be ejected from office, then uh, then we'll have to wait and see. But what about the technicals on the iron ore? I mean, Ed, uh, do you have a view uh, from the iron ore technicals on this? Um, yeah. I mean, firstly, Theo touched on it. There's lots of questions, and that is showing in the trends. Um, <laughs> yeah. Normally, you can look at a market, and to an extent, if it's liquid, we can look at the Elliott wave, which is the psychological footprint of the market, and have some idea about where it should go. Um with iron ore, we're in a unique situation, situation where obviously the Chinese government is the psychological footprint of the market. Um, it doesn't make for easy reading. Um, yes, the trend is bearish um, at this point. We're below key moving averages. We are below weekly moving averages. So there's no arguing having dropped from $226 to $133 that you know there's a bear trend in place the question is when does it when does it bottom if we look at the psychological footprint the Elliott wave then 127 is a key level um because the weekly longer term trend is neutral below this level unbelievably yeah. it's actually still classed as bullish in terms of wave analysis above ah. this level um though obviously if you were trading it then that analysis is is purely a technical view, not a trading view, um, because um, you don't want to be sitting on the bull side of a market that's sort of a hundred dollars offside. Um, yeah. Now, there's a, a couple other things. Um, you've got the seasonality. Now, irrelevant of where price is, the seasonality is still there. And as you come into the construction season, um, into the end of the year, it's a good question about will we see continued drawdown. Um, Theo touched on the fact that we are basically 12% over quota from the first six months on steel production. So they're looking for a cut there. Um, but then you've got an article in um, on the internet yesterday where they were quoting um, Sino Steel Futures, um, who are saying there's been no evidence of a, a reduction in the construction pro pro program. So we saw it at the beginning of the year. Loads of talk about yeah. pushing the market lower and absolutely nothing happening. Um, we now know that there are curbs being enforced in the market, but you are at a situation where if you've still got a construction demand, how is this going to filter through? 
Um, well, well, exactly. You know, wh where is the cut going to come? Are the Chinese simply going to restrict steel production and leave prices to go where they may? Yeah. Uh, uh, for the finished steels, or, uh, or are they going to try and discourage the downstream construction demand? Um, and, and, you know, it, it's, it's obvious that more severe cuts need to be made if they're going to keep to their target. Yes. Um, which makes it very so difficult we'll technically. Where they've come from. Um, you know, one, one, one helps the environment, one damages their economy. Yeah, um, you know, exactly. it's, it's, it's articles this morning on Bloomberg, you know, highlighting the fact that these restrictions, if they're fully applied on the housing market, um, are going to slow the economy down. So um, it, it's, it's a really unknown variable, um, which Theo said, there's lots of questions to be asked. Um, if I look at it from a case of they are going to continue to just push this steel, steel production down, then you're talking $110, maybe even sub $100. Uh, one thing that we have noticed was if we look at um, a market profile picture um, is the amount of time we spent between that $80 to $100 area. Um, it's a huge support area. Um, yeah. you, you might get it down there, but I don't feel you're getting it through there. Um, I, I think there's an issue with the general global economy that is going to keep these prices elevated. Um, I, I think a lot of people in the market probably share your view on that. But, yeah. uh, but you know, never say never. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's going to be very, very difficult to push through that level, I think. Yeah. So. so where is it technically? It's bearish. Um, are there bull signals in the market? Not yet. Um, and if you do see bull signals in the market, we saw lots of them uh a month six weeks ago and on the the daily reports we're like 217 is a key level um if you go above it you're bullish um but then if you go above it on a technical indicator then you're basically going against the chinese government short um prices go too high they're going to push them down so it's very hard to put a bull argument through on this technical even with the increasing restocking at port would suggest that they're getting ready for a good a construction season. Well, for those listeners who want to hear more from Ed on his technical analysis, you can get all of his technical analysis reports uh, through the FIS Live platform uh, by registering for it. And of course, you can do that technical analysis yourself uh, by using our Bloomberg platform and our Bloomberg data. So uh, do get in touch if you want access to either of those. If you've got a birthday coming up, what more could you want? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so a uh, big thank you for Theo coming in from Dubai this uh, this week, uh, giving us all the info, and of course, Kerry, or stalwarts of uh, the podcast, and to special guest Ed, bringing all the technical an analysis that we've had this week, a little new element to our, our main markets and a, a different perspective to, to view things. And uh, as Kerry said, if you want to get hold of those reports, all available uh, via um, our app, which you can sign up at freightinvestorservice.com forward slash FIS hyphen live. But to everyone else listening, do join us again next week uh, to hear again about what's happening on main markets or anything else that may have happened in the week's time uh, when people are back or schools are back. So we may see a little bit more interesting action uh, again on other random things next week. But uh, again, thank you to my three guests and uh, everyone else. See you next week.